You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America, Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the Conservative Conscience. Welcome back to the Conservative Conscience here at Conservative Review, powered by Westwood One Podcast Network. And it is Friday. Yes, I love Fridays, July 20th. And rather than doing Foreign Policy Friday, as we usually do, we're going to do Foreign Influence Friday. Foreign influence of our elections. <clears throat> you know, that was a big discussion this past week, past two weeks, with all of the focus on Russia. And I've gotten a lot of good feedback from our podcast earlier this week with Mark Schneider about the true threat from Russia. But this is really where you see the, the emptiness, the hole in our movement. With the lack of a smart, aggressive, conservative movement with its own proactive agenda, irrespective of what the left is saying or not saying, not just reactionary to the left. And what you would do with this type of news cycle if you had a smart party is a classic case of political jujitsu. You know, what's jujitsu? Uh, you, you basically take the energy and the <clears throat> offensive from your opponent. And you diffuse it in a way that not only is it not going to harm you, but you actually take their energy and use it against them, and you're better off than you were without it. And you know, a great example, we said this with Russia. Uh, they make a big deal out of Russia. All right, well, I mean, you know, it, it, we, we would have pined for years to get the left and the Democrats and the media to care about Russia. Let's go have a discussion about the New START Treaty, about missile defense, our nuclear offensive capabilities, Russian meddling in Latin America. Uh, this is how we could really trap the left because they're bad on those issues. Same thing with uh, you know, separating kids at the border. Oh, you finally care about the border and immigration. You're right. It's, it's even worse than you think. These girls get raped by the drug cartels. Let's now have a discussion, and here's our agenda, and you shove it down their throat. And a similar thing applies to this allegation of foreign influence in our elections. If we had a smart movement and a smart party, we'd direct the president to tweet about this. We'd direct him to give a speech about this and demand immediate legislative action on the true foreign influence in our election, and that is foreign nationals downright casting ballots in our elections, um, whether it's, it's non-citizens voting – uh, the problems with motor voter, general voter fraud even among Americans. Now this business of automatic voter registration mixed with a lot of localities now downright officially giving non-citizens the right to vote in local elections. These are all huge problems that cut to the core of who we are as a sovereign nation. Um, you know, the fact that the left and the media feign outrage and, and claim to care about sovereignty, we should embrace that opportunity. And we mentioned that before. We have an article out this week I'm going to link to in show notes if you haven't read it yet on the importance of this issue and and why I think this is a good time um, you know, to promote to promote this issue. But I wanted to bring on an expert on election law, some of the trends going on, 
and what we can do about it. Uh, you know, it's just it's something that a lot of us talk about in the abstract, but I really wanted to dig down deep um, and learn more about the specifics of the problems of of, of voter integrity and cleaning up voter rolls, non-citizens voting. So today we have a special guest, Logan Churchwell. He's a communications and research director for the Public Interest Legal Foundation. That's the group headed by our buddy Jay Christian Adams. Um, Logan previously worked for True the Vote and Breitbart, Texas. Good guys there. Got Brandon Darby there. Um, but you know, y- you know, I am pretty bearish on my view of many conservative groups and their utility and what exactly they do. But this is a group, the Public Interest Legal Foundation, <clears throat> that is almost single-handedly trying to stem the tide of voter fraud, non-citizens voting, um, fighting back in the courts. Uh, the courts are obviously creating many problems for us in many states, but they're going on judicial offense in a, in a number of states, putting out research, putting out information. Um, they are the go-to people on voter fraud. So with no further ado, hey, Logan, welcome to the Conservative Conscience. Thank you very much for having me. Well, it's, it's great to have you. And I, you know, we, we've never even chatted before. We've uh, exchanged a lot of emails. You were very helpful in my research on this issue. I want to just start off in general. Um you know, normally I want to raise the ire of the public and really, I wouldn't say exaggerate because I don't want to exaggerate and make things up, but I really want people to understand the gravity and severity of an issue. But when it comes to voter fraud, I, I almost don't want to think about it. Many of us don't want to think about it because it's such a it's such a unsettling, disquieting feeling to think that, you know, in the most important Western democracy in the year 2018, that our elections wouldn't be secure, that our votes wouldn't fully count and not be diluted, our sovereignty wouldn't be stolen. Yes, we have a lot of liberals in this country. Yes, maybe we'll lose an election. But by golly, if we convince enough people and we win an election, we could have the confidence that we're always going to win. How, just in general, before we get into the specifics, between all of the iterations of voter fraud how ubiquitous of a problem is it and do you think it really does ultimately determine outcomes in elections well your most your last question does it determine outcomes the answer is absolutely yes um however they are usually local elections but your larger question is how big of a problem is this on a grander scale and I hate to bum out the audience, but the reality is our system is designed in a way, and on the same token, it's broken in a way to where it's almost impossible to quantify that exhaustively and say, here's how much fraud there is. And the reason is, in order to usually discover voter fraud, someone has to talk and admit that they made the error, the mistake, or they committed that fraud on purpose, or someone just has to make the mistake and get caught but it's usually much, very much after the fact. Uh, you can't catch them in the act, and you can, and almost always you cannot get that bad vote taken out of the pot uh, and correct the issue directly. You just have to live and learn with it. So overall, yes, elections are being affected. There are almost a, there are at least a dozen active investigations in the in the state of Texas alone throughout South Texas where school board races water utility district races, county commissioners, local level elections that aren't going to make the national news, but very much impact 
your daily life and especially your tax bill uh, as just a regular American, those are thrown all the time. And we are seeing our, our nation becoming so polarized that even though it can be a congressional race or a Senate race, those elections are becoming so close that even the slimmest margin of error can throw a race one direction or the other. New Hampshire in 2016 is a good example of that, where there were uh, the margin of victory in winning that Senate seat in 2016 in New Hampshire was surpassed by the number of people showing out-of-state driver's licenses on the same day of Election Day to register and vote, usually from Massachusetts. So we have serious system vulnerabilities, and we just do not know um, how much the system is failing us, and we're constantly having to correct for the issue well after the fact. When we can't do anything about it, the votes are counted, the, the, the new guy is in office, all you can do is hope to reform the law and make sure it doesn't happen again. And even then, you're having an uphill battle against the left. You know, th- that's a really good point because what, what I'm seeing here is on the one hand, you have a front-end recipe for voter fraud, not mandating it, but a recipe in, in terms of motor voter that you seamlessly transition people um, with – uh, driver's licenses into voter registration. You don't have a mandated back end check to verify proof of citizenship. And then, you know, even among Americans, you know, like you said, that they're in fact in the state, that they're in fact living there, they're in fact that person. Um, and then, you know, we obviously have a lot of elections that are very close. It comes to mind that uh, I, I live in Baltimore County, Maryland, and that's a pretty important jurisdiction. Um, you know, over a million people now living that jurisdiction. So county executive, that's the chief executive of the county. And again, this is a million people, so it's not a tiny, you know, little town. Um, the county executive race was just won, the, the Democrat primary, but the Democrat winds up winning the general election, by 17 votes. So, you know, you better believe in a place this large, um, you got to make sure every vote counts. And, you know, I think, in 2018, we should have the technology to ensure there's no fraud. It is in fact what you're saying that, um, you know, one of the one of the things I've noticed is that the courts are really aggressively siding with the ACLU and AACP, blocking almost every um, common sense method of voter integrity in a number of of circuits throughout this country. And what I'm seeing the common theme is they don't let us verify, but they don't give us the information. So therefore we don't have like, you know, oh, there's a million people who voted fraudulently here. We don't have that evidence. There's like no evidence. There's no, um, you know, governmental need to do this. And therefore you're not allowed to do it. So isn't it kind of a catch 22 and could you explain a little bit how you're trying to break that ice and gather enough evidence? Sure. Well, there are a couple of things at play. Um, a very important point to bear in mind is that in, back in the Bush years, um, whenever you had the voter ID decision come out of Indiana, the Supreme Court decision that basically greenlit voter ID for all the other states to follow, the Supreme Court ruled, and a liberal justice wrote the opinion, I believe it was Stevens, uh, said that, look, if, if you believe that you need to pass a voter ID law to uphold voter integrity and you've documented that you have problems in your state. At the time, um, Indiana had more registered voters 
than people actually living there. Their roles were just so bloated. They could not trust their own records. So they needed to have a voter ID law to make sure everyone who was who they said they were, they lived where they said they lived, et cetera. Just a basic check that was enforced at the ballot box. Uh, the left attacked and said, well, you're still not showing that people are impersonating other people. Uh, you're not really pointing to an actual fire. Uh, you're just pointing to a bunch of smoke. And the Supreme Court ruled that look, essentially, if you believe that this law is going to prevent a wildfire from spreading and get ahead of that issue, uh, then fine. You, that is constitutional as long as you're not being discriminatory. So voter ID started off that way. But what happened time after time, anytime someone tried to promote an election integrity issue, whether it was another state promoting voter ID or just some other kind of common sense law, uh, the proponents of that legislation would fall into this debate trap uh, in trying to prove how much voter fraud there is in order to justify their actions. Sure. And you're never going to satisfy that formula that's thrown upon you because the system is not designed to help detect and deter fraud. You're trying to put that in place and you're being asked to prove a negative in the meantime. <laughs> so overall, you've had this trouble of having to answer the question, um, how much voter fraud can you prove to uh, j justify that you need to change the law. And I like your jujitsu analogy, and I actually practice jujitsu, so I very much appreciate <laughs> it and understand awesome. the concept. Uh, you got to turn that around and ask the question how much are you okay with? How much are you going to say is just the cost of doing democracy uh, in order to keep this law from getting on the books? How much fraud are you okay with it happening in your own elections? until you believe you have to make a change. And I would argue that you're essentially telling the electorate, look, you're just going to have to suck it up. If it gets really bad, then we'll fix it. But in the meantime, don't really sweat it. Mexico tried that, and they had a complete teardown of their elections in the 1980s and had to rebuild them with things like voter ID, electronic poll books, proof of citizenship and registering to vote, all of that to get their confidence back in their elections. And it worked. They have some of the best election systems in the country. Probably not the best politicians, <laughs> but the system that they're playing in is very high tech. And they decided that they they had a fire in the house. They had to put it out and make sure everything was flame retardant after that. And we have to be in that same position. We have to get ahead of this. Let's not wait until we're in crisis. And that is our argument. How much fraud are you okay with? And that also dovetails exactly when we talk about non-citizen voting the left will say oh it's not a big deal there, there's not too many of them there's really no point in a non-citizen voting um, and even so we can catch them and our argument is well number one how much are you okay with and if you don't think non-citizen voting is a bad uh, something to worry about and not something we should try and prevent every single time then you go to their deportation hearing Mr. Lefty, and tell them that it wasn't a big deal because it's a big deal to them. And a lot of non-citizens that are caught in our voting system weren't trying to get there in the first place. And that's thanks to many left-wing policies and legal strategies. So I, I want to, I really want to delve into that deeply. I, I want to get to generic voter fraud afterwards, but I want to start with non-citizens voting. <clears throat> so 
you know, I, I think what a lot of people are missing in the political class is that this is not just a random allegation. Like, maybe there's some non-citizens voting. Well, yeah, you know, you could always have some of that. It's a matter of there's a mandated mechanism built into law that without the requisite uh, verification, you absolutely will have the problem because of motor voters. So let, let's – again, and I want to get to illegal immigration a little bit later, but let's start off like like where, where you were talking about legal immigrants. We all want – um, legal immigrants to have driver's licenses. I mean, everyone everyone agrees on that. Certainly, if you're you're here illegally, and that's fine. And but we all don't want non citizens to be voting. So if you say that automatically we're going to register you to vote, or you know have that uh, MVA DMV official uh, offer you uh, the opportunity, hey, did you register to vote? Would you like to vote? Um, so don't you don't we now have a ubiquitous problem where forgetting about fraud, you know, someone that insidiously wants to subvert our elections, that you have people that actually don't even mean they're, they're here legally. They're they're not they're not like illegals that steal identities and do all sorts of things, but they wind up getting registered to vote and they don't even want to do it, and. Uh, and, and that's part A. Part B is maybe some don't want to either, but maybe they're ignorant of the fact that they're not able to vote because they register them to vote. So they're like, what the heck? I'll vote. Sure. So here's – let's take a look at uh, Pennsylvania, not far from Baltimore, of course. Uh, last year, in, in the last fall of 2017, a bunch of dominoes started falling, and people weren't putting the pieces together immediately. Uh, it just looked like – politicians leaving jobs. But what ended up happening was the Secretary of State of Pennsylvania, the chief election officer, quits. No warning. No, I want to spend more time with my family. No health reasons cited. Just he was he was Secretary of State one day and he wasn't the next. And the governor had to send a letter around saying, yeah, he he's out of here. If, talk to this interim guy if you have any questions. Uh, moving on. And what ended up happening was leading up to that event in 2017, the year before, Public Interest Legal Foundation did a very short two-year study in uh, Philadelphia where they were, where the organization was finding 80 cases where non-U.S. citizens were registering to vote in the city of Philadelphia and then turning around and calling the city back and saying, whoops, I registered to vote, uh, whoops, I voted, didn't mean to. Uh, I need to let you know about this and get my records cleared out because I'm trying to become a U.S. citizen. Uh, a year later, the city of Philadelphia followed up and said, yeah, actually, this is happening all over the state. Uh, there's thousands of cases. And in fact, whenever we had conversations between the city of Philadelphia and the Pennsylvania DMV, the, it's called PennDOT, mm -hmm. uh, we came to believe there are 100,000 cases like 100, this. 100,000 of registered non-citizens. And, and, and again, this is a state, you know, when you think of Donald Trump surprising everyone and winning the election, you think of Pennsylvania. It's a critical state. Um, Republicans are never going to really blow it out there if they're going to win it. It's going to be a small margin. 100,000 non-citizens registered to vote. Absolutely. And here's what happened. When they went to the DMV to get their driver's license, and remember, these are legal folks. They are H-1B holders. 
They are marriage um, visa holders or fiance visas, uh, all of those types of categories. They have their paperwork. No one has any problem with them. Good for them. They're future citizens. When they went to get their driver's license, they were offered voter registration, not because of bad training or there were a couple of bad apples at PennDOT that weren't good at their job. The system automatically offered them voter registration, even though the state of Pennsylvania requires that you show your U.S. immigration paperwork and your foreign passport when you get a driver's license. So those things are literally on the table when you are asked the question, are you a U.S. citizen? Would you like to register to vote? Yes or no? That happens with every single customer that was showing a foreign passport in Pennsylvania. And here's the kicker. This wasn't just in the past year. This has been in place since the mid-1990s when motor voter came to be as a federal mandate. And PennDOT and the Secretary of State knew about it, and they admitted they knew about it in 2017, and they did nothing. Could you just explain mechanically how that happened? So, you know, you, you have your documents on the table just, you know, just to get the driver's licenses before you uh, get registered to, to vote. It demonstrates incontrovertibly that you're not a citizen. So then how does that get off the ground? So the DMV official says, hey, would you like to vote? And then what? The, the guy says yes. Essentially, yes. And it depended on the time in which it happened and the technology that was available in the more recent years, the state said, well, we changed up our computer system and we asked them that question first before we got into any of the other substantive questions about legal status. Uh, but since the 1990s, that question has been asked somewhere in the same time period where you are showing a passport from a foreign nation that is still valid and you are applying specifically for a non-citizen driver's license. But it's just bad policy. It's bad procedure. It's bad training. And they knew about it. That's the worst part. And here's where some of our own research uh, in Pittsburgh that we released about a week ago, we have documents from non-citizens when they make their their pleading case to the state and to the county saying, I've got to get rid of this voter registration. I'm going to get deported instead of naturalized. You've got to help me, please. In their letters, they will explain what happened at the DMV. And case after case, the non-citizen says, I showed them my passport. They asked me about voter registration. And then I asked, is this okay? Am I actually eligible? And the response was, case after case, it's an application. You're either eligible or you're not. Fill it out and then let the next guy the secretary of state's office or Allegheny County or in wow. whichever County you're in, they'll figure it out. They'll figure out if you're eligible and they'll either accept you or reject you into the voter roll. And that's not how the system works. If you answer the question, I would like to register to vote. Here's my name. Here's my information. I'm eligible. Then you're believed. There is no verification. There's no fail safe in case there's bad training from the DMV, there's no fail-safe if the non-citizen could not read the offer of voter registration in a language that you know, that they understood. Uh, and because time after time, someone would be filling out DMV documents in Spanish or Hindi or something like that, and then the voter registration offer is written in English. And they think it's another dotted line they have to oh, sign. Oh, man. And any, 
And and so and you anyone that's been to the DMV knows they're pushing paper at you. You're oh, trying yeah. to sign everything. It's like any, you, you want to get out. No, no, no one reads anything. I mean, that's true with all this. Any contract. I mean, most contracts. Exactly. And so here you are a non-U.S. citizen. You maybe have been here six months, maybe less. Who knows? But you haven't had an American education. And here is this guy who works for the government offering you yet another piece of paper and a stack of papers that you have to fill out. And it doesn't cross your mind that signing one of those papers can get you deported, especially if it's a government officer handing it to you. So it seems that, that feels kind of like entrapment. And they actually say that. That, that that's a re- again the, the the point you're making I think is lost on a lot of people because um, we're not even talking about voter fraud yet, at least not in the term. There's a term of art, voter fraud, but there's the way people and the public view it politically, where, again, we're talking about legal immigrants. They're not trying to steal anything. Um, You know, just to generally speak, over the last couple decades, we – so this is another problem. Um, You know, there's one thing if we had very few immigrants. But putting aside the immigration debate, we have a lot of immigrants. I mean that's just the reality. We have 44 million immigrants in this country. Um, I don't know how many of uh, voter age eligible, but it's 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 you know probably well over twenty million or so. It's a lot of people. You give them driver's licenses. You have motor voter mandating that you are that you ask if they want to register to vote, and you can have people that you know a lot of them are coming, particularly in recent decades, from very very different cultures. So you know you, you can't even get in their mind what they're assuming when they get asked certain things, and. You know whether there's fraud or not, and often there's not. They wind up getting registered. Some wind up voting. Some wind up not voting. So, are you telling me that the reason why, when 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 Public Interest Legal Foundation, you guys put out certain reports, and you'll see a couple hundred non-citizens registered to vote in this county, people think, well, okay, that, that that's bad, but you know, I'm not seeing like you know tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. You're saying that's only because. These are the people that downright came forward and actually said, no, take me off because there's a whole other angle to this that a lot of people in the media don't report on that it's a deportable offense. So sometimes they don't even mean to do it, but because of the lack of verification and the just negligence on the part of the states, they get registered and then they can get deported because it's it's a, it's a felony. Right. Uh, and there's – there's a famous case came out in uh, 2017. It was pretty early on in the year. Um, this woman, this Peruvian woman, Margarita Fitzpatrick in Illinois, immigrates to the United States, gets a good job. She works in the medical field, um, marries a United States citizen, and is on her citizenship track. She needs a driver's license to get to and from work every day. So she goes to the Illinois DMV, and the classic case happens. Here is my foreign passport. Here is my green card. All these things that you asked me for to identify that I'm a non-citizen and I am who I say I am. And then the next question is, would you like to register to vote? And then the, the debate happens. Are, aren't you, I'm not a citizen. How can you ask me that question? The law says that I have to offer it to you, but I'm not a citizen. Just fill out the form uh, and let the next guy figure out if you're eligible or not. And then because they filled out an a, a an application that can either be accepted or denied, it comes back and it's approved. Then the person thinks, well, I must have been eligible. 
And I hear that in Illinois, that people used to vote in school board races if they're green card holders. I don't know if the law has changed, but I got approved. So I must be eligible now. They're taking all of this literally, and you can't really blame them. So they go vote. This woman voted multiple times in federal elections. And then when she wanted to become a U.S. citizen, surprise, surprise, she was asked the question, have you ever claimed to be a U.S. citizen before? Have you ever registered to vote? Have you ever voted? Yes, yes, yes. You're deported. So here is a woman who is a grandmother, married to a United States citizen, has American-born grandchildren, and gets deported back to Peru uh, in 2017. (laughs) All of this because she was offered an application that could either be accepted or rejected, and it was accepted. Therefore, I must be eligible. Therefore, I guess I can go vote. And this happens case after case. And here's the real, the sad thing. If you take a look at our immigration, our voting, and our entitlement systems, they are being increasingly intertwined at the expense and risk of the legal immigrants. Because Mm -hmm. if you or the system makes a mistake in one of those, it has a cascading effect in the other two. So if DMV screws up and offers you voter registration, and the voter registration system has no verification built in, then those two systems are going to screw you over in immigration. Wow. Wow. And it works interchangeably. That is something really not reported on the media and all these people that want to, you know, just play the race card and identity card um, anytime you want to push voter integrity integrity laws. But these very same people claim to hate deportations and, you know, they, they want amnesty for everyone. But the irony is they're saying this hurts really legal immigrants um, for whom, you know, we want we want to have driver's licenses. Uh, but then, yeah, I mean, we, we have motor voter, don't have a good verification on the front end, on the back end. Let me add to this and throw gasoline on the fire because this is really in the news now. How bad is it going to make it, the fact that everything you just said is a problem and, and you know, roping in a lot of people, registering maybe, maybe as many as 100,000 people in Pennsylvania, more maybe more than that. Many other states have have probably even worse problems that especially states that have a larger share of foreign born population. Um, but then you add two more elements. A lot of blue states, my state of Maryland, Massachusetts, California, are Oregon, they're starting with automatic voter registration where they just take people, you know, look look at DMV lists and just automatically register people to vote. And number two, um, this is really in the news this week where you downright have new laws or pushing new laws to have non-citizens, which I guess in many of these places, particularly San Francisco, includes illegal immigrants to vote in local elections. So I mean, right. what is that going to do to the current system? Well, let's, let's disentangle that. Um, take California, for example, as a state, not any particular locale. In recent years, California passed uh, a law that says if you are an illegal immigrant, illegal, you can get a driver's license just like a legal immigrant or a U.S. citizen. Here's the trouble with that. So that law passed. It went into effect. Now you have hundreds of millions of illegal immigrants with driver's licenses in California. You could say it's it's a public safety concern. That way they can get insurance and ever, no one gets hurt on the road. Okay, fine. Here's where 
again, conservatives need to start owning the process issues because that's where the power is. If you t- were to take a look at the California DMV database, if you were to take all the driver's license holders, put them in an Excel spreadsheet, you would not be able to look at that and say, okay, that's a U.S. citizen customer, that's a green card holder, that's an illegal immigrant because they don't actually categorize them that way. You're whoa, just whoa, whoa, a customer. Well, wait a minute, Logan. Wait, you're, you're telling me that on the driver's license itself, it doesn't... on the license itself, the, the it, database that it runs on, you cannot look at it and, and look at that row of data and say, okay, there's a unique indicator in there that says that's a U.S. citizen customer, that's an illegal immigrant. It's not there. If you were but, to look at that database, you but, would not But what, what about on the license itself? The license itself will say not for federal purposes. Okay. That's usually the terminology you see on it. And that means if they show up at a polling place uh, and they hand you their card, a trained poll worker will look for that language and say, okay, you can't vote, not for federal purposes. That That's the code there. Go away. So, yeah, they would say that's the fail-safe. But here's what's Let's get more creative here. So you now have motor voter, you now have the motor voter system serving illegal aliens, illegal immigrants. And then you pass a law that says if you walk into the DMV in California and you engage in some kind of transaction beyond asking where's the bathroom, some, some kind of government transaction, then your information is to be automatically ported over to the voter registration folks and get you registered to vote. If you don't like it, you can deregister yourself. Wow. Now keep in mind, DMV does not discern between what kind of customer you are on immigration status. So when this law was being kicked around the legislature back in 2015, the ACLU of all people (laughs) came out against this law. Do not pass automatic registration, even though they, they love these kinds of laws, but they realize that because California's DMV system is such a mess and they don't see a difference between a U.S. citizen and a, an illegal immigrant in terms of data storage and data transmission, they were essentially going to be piping the illegal immigrants into the voter roll and set them up for deportation. <laughs> so it's, it's the same concern that PILF has and is showing all around the country uh, but they were raising alarm in 2015 in California saying, you're just basically going to create a pipeline for deportation. Don't do that. <laughs> well, wait, wait. So, so this is funny. So when it comes to, um, you know, actually focusing on voter integrity laws, they're like, what the heck? This is not a problem. This never happens. But when the outcome will be deportation, they're like, this is a whole pipeline. <laughs> right. And so, but here's, but, but don't, uh, they, they never fail to amaze. That their objection did not kill the bill. Instead, they wrote a new section into the, the same bill that said if an illegal immigrant, uh, they used more technical language, but essentially paraphrasing, if an illegal immigrant becomes registered to vote through this new automatic registration system, uh, and they weren't trying to be, but the system failed them, then they cannot be prosecuted. So oh, instead man. of just scrapping the whole thing, starting over, reforming how DMV handles data, and just being smart about it. They just said, well, let's let's just give everyone a get-out-of-jail-free card. And if you registered illegally, uh, you voted illegally, but you weren't trying to do it. 
the system screwed up, not you, then you will not be prosecuted. Oh, and the burden of that proof is going to be on, on, on the feds then, and it's going to be so hard. And, and whereas we don't want legal immigrants who don't mean to engage in fraud to – I mean some of them might, but you know, again, A, they're legal. B, they don't mean to engage in fraud. We don't want them roped in. But yeah, you're right. I mean you do it this direction. You have the opposite problem that you know, I, I've heard um, – I've seen different data points. Anywhere from two thirds to three quarters of illegal immigrants have stolen identities. Um, so that in itself is a, is, a, is a huge problem. But the point being that you know, again, not every legal immigrant will be honest. Not every illegal will be dishonest. But there is a a pervasive culture of you know criminality among them. I mean, their whole lifestyle lends itself to that. So right. a lot of them, you know, are going to commit fraud, and this law will make it very hard to prove that you know they um, that they are ineligible. Or, or, or that and bear in mind, remember that I explained how our entitlement, immigration, and voting systems are becoming intertwined. That is why it's a bad thing that these things are becoming intertwined. Is because you have all these other gray areas, like you see in California. Some people are bad. Some people are honest. All of that happens on a much grander scale now, and you have to sort through that. And you have to do it after the bad votes have been counted, and you can't take them back. All righty. So, so, so let's move on. I know we're running out of time here. So um, jurisdictions like San Francisco uh, saying that you know, non-citizens, I guess, including illegal immigrants, uh, but you know, it's neither here nor there with regard to this. They're certainly not citizens. Uh, they could vote in local elections. Shut up, federal government. It's none of your business. What do you care? Uh, we could do what we want with local elections. What's the problem with that? Well, there's more issues there. I mean, number one, it's not illegal. A lot of people will say, oh, that's terrible. You can't do that. File a lawsuit. Go get them. And I know there's this thing called federalism. Sure. And conservatives love federalism. But there is an annoying side to it sometimes when a school board or a township or what have you, like College Park, Maryland, another recent example of this, uh, if they want to have a local election system, a local role, and invite non-citizens to participate, they can do it. You can't get a federal judge to shut that down. As long as they're not voting in federal elections, federal courts, federal government doesn't have a bone to pick with that. So the issue of is it legal or not, it's legal. Sure. But sure. there's a larger issue at play here because what the left is essentially doing two things. They're trying to desensitize people to the idea of non-citizens participating in elections. And they're doing that on local places, in safe political places like College Park, Maryland, San Francisco, California. I believe uh, Towson, uh, some small townships throughout Maryland really started this up um, years ago, some going back to the 70s. But they're trying to desensitize you to the idea that, well, a green card holder should be allowed to vote in a school board race because their kids who are probably growing up to be natural born U.S. citizens are going to be in that school district. So, yeah, they should have a voice. Uh, but the bigger play here is to and if you were to ask someone on the left, you know, what do you think about voting rights? Just a very broad question. They'll say something like everyone should be allowed to vote. And what does everyone mean? If you live here, you should be able to vote here. And that is really where they're trying to take this on the long term, not in the next couple of years. There's yep. a generational shift that they're going for um, to try and get – they want to broaden the electorate. And they will use nice language like improve participation, bring people <laughs> off the sidelines, 
engage in a more diverse electorate. All that means is non-U.S. citizens being allowed to vote. Well, while saying, I don't do know what you're talking step. about. While, while saying, you know, feigning out, you know, f- feigning ignorance. What are you talking about? You know, th- th- there's no non-citizens voting when really that's exactly what they want. But but th- this case in particular, Boston, San Francisco, what they're trying to do. Um, my concern is this. So so you're absolutely right. Um, legally, they could do what they want for their own type of elections, their own offices. Um, politically, I disagree with it. I, I would say that just not from a legal standpoint, but politically, you know, yeah, this was done in the 1800s in frontiers when, you know, this gets to the whole philosophical difference between a immigrant in an established nation state for many hundreds of years versus a pioneer, you know, because they point to times in history where we did this, but it's a lot of differences, but that's neither here nor there. 18 U.S. Code 611 uh, A3. So, Yes, states, okay, you know, we can't stop you, but the statute says that um, you could could register, you know, non-citizens to vote unless voting for such other purpose is conducted independently of voting for a candidate for such federal offices in such a manner that an alien has the opportunity to vote for such other purpose, but not an opportunity to vote for any candidate. Uh, for any one of the federal offices. So they, they require that you wall it off and conduct it independently. Right. Are they doing anything to fulfill that? Well, here's um, – Maryland has some good case studies on this. And here's the, the fun thing about this. It's really not turning out the non-citizens to vote because a lot of them are paranoid that something could go wrong. And even in the jurisdictions that are saying, yeah, even if you're a legal immigrant, we want you to vote, we will – put you in your own little database. We will wall you off from the rest of the electorate and we will protect your information from ice while we do it. <laughs> um, they're still not turning out. It's a, it's a giant virtue signaling exercise where they would love to say um, that there are, we are welcoming of non-citizens into our electorate. If you live here, you should be able to vote here. Your kids go to school here. You pay taxes here. It's all great. The reality is they can do that. Uh, you can lead that horse to water all you want, but they're not drinking, at least yet, um, because the, the voter turnout for non-citizens of whatever category that you're looking at, and they're allowed to vote there, they're just not showing up to vote. They don't trust the system. Uh, they don't want to do that. It's more of that living in shadows mentality that we heard about when DAPA and DACA was coming around under the Obama administration. We want to get people out of the shadows. Some people are very happy to stay right where they are and enticing them by entering a government database that is searchable to the public that has all of your information in it, including your voting history. Yeah, they're not going to jump up and do that. So it's outrageous as much as it is legal that uh, locales are experimenting with this, but people just aren't really turning out to vote yet. And that's one thing that you know gives me some comfort in this because yeah, it's clear some of these jurisdictions would very much love to import a new electorate because the old one isn't really working for them. I mean, yeah. I I remember when we used to have union vote, we had labor voters, we had elderly voters. Now they're just called white voters and they vote for Trump. Uh, they're still old, they're still part of the union, but they voted for Trump in all those key states, and we have to import a new electorate to change that out. Some people are very clear about that, and they use nice coded language to make the point, we got to broaden the electorate, we have to increase it, participation. 
but that's that's what they're doing. And, and I think the proof is in the pudding. You're right because. You know, look, we're sharply divided. We argue philosophically over a lot of issues left and right. But, you know, if they really didn't have this agenda to um, have non-citizens vote, it really is indefensible what they're doing. Why would – I mean even if you're a liberal, why would you oppose any effort to check for proof of citizenship, which you know they take it to court and they're winning in a lot of circuits, they're saying states can't check um, proof of citizenship or require – require – uh, that you submit proof of citizenship, um, you know, you you would want that. Why wouldn't you want photo ID, especially when the states are, you know, the, your rare individual that evidently doesn't have a photo ID. I never met a person like that. Um, the the state will provide it for you for free. Um, why would you? Why? Why wouldn't you? Know, when you see you have more registered voters than. Um, you know, actual voters in a state, you know, why wouldn't you want to deal with it? And I think that's the only conclusion you could draw. Um, gosh, I could talk to you forever. I know we're running out of time. I just want to briefly move on to just generic voter fraud. What are the biggest problems we have um, beyond non-citizens voting? You know, when we yeah. say you don't have to show photo ID in a number of states, I know in Maryland, you don't have to show it. What are the biggest concerns? Who's showing up? You know, someone, you know, right. you know, so what if someone's dead? So what if someone died and he's still registered to vote? So what if there's no photo ID? Here's the biggest worry. And non-citizen voting plays, plays a part in it. But this cuts across all lines, whether it's federal elections or election for dog catcher, assistant dog catcher. Absentee mail voting is so prone to fraud and throwing race after race. Uh, it's really the number one cause of an election to have to be overturned. Uh, mm. A judge having to rule that needs to happen. Here's the concern. Because you have bad voter rolls, you have outdated information, you have bloated voter rolls, and you have very permissive rules, like I'm going to send every single registered voter in the county an offer to uh, cast a ballot by mail, or in some states where that's just part of the law. It's very, in some states, it's very easy to vote in the mail. Some states don't have it at all, but uh, that's a. Uh, so, wait, so you're talking about like, like, like Oregon? Ohio. Oregon, um, like, not Colorado. so much Oregon, more like Ohio. Ohio and Texas, because this is where we see a lot of these cases. So, if you have a dirty voter roll with old information on it, and you are automatically sending absentee ballots to addresses that are no longer good, to people that no longer live there. What ends up happening are these local operators in Texas. They're called politiqueras. They usually hang out in, in the southern part of the state. In Florida, they're called bulateros. Um, these are ballot brokers. These are people that have access to people's ballots that are dead, that are showing up in apartment mailboxes that no longer belong to that person. Uh, they are active registrations, but the people that they are meant for are not getting into their hands. They go from campaign to campaign and say, okay, you want to run for school district seat one? I have control of 30 ballots in that district. You pay me X dollar per ballot, they're yours. Holy smokes. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I got to digest this. Wait, so so you're saying, you know, a lot of people in their mind, it seems kind of distant or, you know, unlikely that – all right, I know someone in my community died, but they're still registered, so I'm going to come in in front of the um, county official, the volunteer official at the polls, and present myself as him, himself, 
you're saying, you know, that happens maybe on some level, but with with absentee ballots, again, a seam, much like voter motor voting, you have a seamless front end flow into it where you automatically, everything is automatic, send it out. And then you have downright brokers that could get a hold of them and know that they never even have to be confronted in person. Right. Here's how you stop it, though. Well, here's how they get away with it first. Uh, in just about every state, the exception being Kansas, uh, you are verifying the validity of the ballot coming in the mail and the person sending it on signature matches. And that means there is a group of people in a room. They are eyeballing signatures all day long. They have a file copy of the signature and they have the signature that just came in through the mail that day. Do they match? Okay, great. Let it count. Do they not match? Okay, let's set that one aside. But they're also trained at the same time. You know what? Signatures change. People get arthritis in their hands. People break their hands and have to just make their mark. So err on the side of the voter and let it count. So we have no high-tech system for verifying that mail ballots coming and going are legit. Uh, But even worse, take Dallas County, Texas, for example. Last year, you had city council races, entire city council races, postponed determining winner and loser because they had to cordon off more ballots from the mail for further investigation with the attorney general's office of health then you had the difference between winning and losing. And what ended up happening was because you had a very weak system of applying for ballots and there is no high-tech way of making sure that there is fraud going on in the mail system, a guy reached out to hundreds of people in a very poor jurisdiction in Dallas. And these were elderly, they were minority, uh, and they were usually senile. And they got access to those ballots and started voting them. And it wasn't until the grandchildren who were taking care of grandma and the like were realizing that they're getting all this mail and they don't even know what day it is. And they're being offered voter registration and they're being offered absentee ballots in the mail. And this guy is here to pick them up because they they need help filling them out. Two city council races were thrown in a total disarray. And the way to fix all of this is to actually build voter ID into the mail balloting system. To Whenever you apply for a mail ballot, you ha- are asked the question, can you give us your Texas driver's license number, your Missouri driver's license number, your U.S. passport number, your Social Security number, something that only you should have in your mind or in your purse or wallet that you put into that system to verify that you are you. And not Wait. some guy pretending to be you. You're you're saying that that could work even with automatic mailings, meaning you'd, you'd automatically mail people, but they right. would have so to like return. Ohio automatically mails it, but they have to return with the unique ID number that only they should have. That's not a matter of public record. That is beyond a signature. So a driver's license number, a U.S. passport. So this is law in Kansas, and from what we can tell, it's the only state that has something like it. But a state like Texas that is having case after case of a whole elect, not just single one-off fraud incidents, but whole elections being tossed aside because of fraud, because of mail ballot fraud, if that ballot broker had to get those driver's license numbers, their lives would be a whole lot harder. Uh, It would be a whole lot harder to prey on that person with dementia. It's easy to get them to sign something. It's much harder to make them find their driver's license, their passport, something like that, in order oh, to make that application mean. complete. 
so and we don't have that and it's very easy to change uh kansas has an example to follow but if speaking broadly our biggest concern in terms of voter fraud is mail ballot fraud and you won't even find the left disagreeing with you on that and it's something we it, it, while we're all agreeing that it's a problem let's agree on a solution and putting voter id components into uh, the mail ballot system is the first and best step, in our opinion. And, and is that all state? I'm saying, is there anything you can do on a federal level? Not really. I mean, it's, and, and even if there was some kind of federal lever to pull, Pilf would say, don't do that. Keep it on the state level because you, the federal government has very little control over sure. what the states do on elections. And even the state government have less control over what the counties have. Um, this is a local system, and we want to keep it that way, number one, because it's responsive to you. But number two, it's a natural security enhancement against foreign meddlers from whichever country. Sure, uh, if, you sure. have to, if you have to attack an election system that has thousands of variations uh, across the jurisdiction in terms of procedure, technology, what have you, it's much harder to pull off a simultaneous attack in multiple jurisdictions with the system we have now. And even if it's a paper, a pen and paper voting system, can't really hack that. And you have to modify your tactics in every single jurisdiction. It's a natural security enhancement. uh, And it doesn't fall into the hands of one political party or the other, depending on what's going on in Washington. It's usually some county clerk who doesn't even run in a partisan race, which is kind of nice. No, exactly. Yeah, I mean, what I meant on a federal level, obviously, yeah, I don't think we, we should have standards um, federalizing things. But the problem is, on the front end, they already did federalize with Motor Voter. And my point was that I think, you know, a lot of the states that are trying to do good stuff, the forum shopped courts, federal courts, are trying to say, oh, statute prohibits you from doing it. So I'm wondering if there's a need to at least ex- not, not dictate the process, but explicitly deputize or, or just authorize the states, uh, you know, make the language clear enough even for a liberal judge that they can indeed do that. Well, even if the states were to take action on this, it would end up being in federal court. Uh, but these laws have been upheld in Kansas. Um, they're shown to work. They're not causing any kind of discriminatory problems. We just err on the side of we need to keep this local, we need to keep this on the state side. Um, sure, Congress could have a million hearings and really just delve into the issue of motor voter because we do need to have a federal discussion about can we or should we update motor voter? And we will say absolutely yes. Sure. Uh, because it was designed, motor voter was designed in the 80s and it re- utilizes 1990s technology and methods for maintaining the voter rolls. We're very much stuck in, in an analog state. And whenever states and local jurisdictions decide to act like it's the 21st century, they can get shot at by uh, in federal court by someone on the left. And they have to defend that. They might even let it go. Um, yeah. But overall, this is a local. We have to fight this state by state, county by county. We just we do not want to federalize it. That is the absolute worst thing that can happen because you, you don't want – some, you, you don't want someone like Peter Strzok or some bureaucrat that you do not know, uh, some deep state bureaucrat having federal controls over elections. You'll never get them back. 
it's much better to go down to the courthouse and talk with the clerk who may actually know you by name because many do. They take that job seriously. Uh, it's local customer service, and that's the way we need it to be. Because our election system, if it's running correctly, it should be run like a customer service operation, not a bureaucratic operation in D.C. Um, man, I, the time has flown by. I promise this is the last question. I just Because uh, you, you brought up the mail-in ballots, and this is something I've written about a while ago, ballot harvesting. So, you know, you have this phenomenon, I mean, it's at mainly left-wing organizations do this, where you have third-party organizations go around collecting absentee ballots and then submitting them in mass to the Board of Elections. Um, states like Arizona, North Carolina uh, try to, to bar that, you know, say that, you know, you got to hand it in yourself. You can't have third-party organizations doing it, um, both in Arizona and North Carolina they the courts said you know no you have to allow it and in north carolina my understanding is you know it's hard to prove definitively but there were enough ballots that were harvested against north carolina's law to make the difference between um governor cooper's victory over former republican roy mcrory um and that could have determined the election are you guys involved at all in the ballot harvesting debate? Do you, do you see that as a separate problem, or um, is that taken care of with your you know, a suggestion of a photo ID component to the mail-ins? Well, the ID component helps cut against fraudulent activity in a harvest, but you will also not be hard-pressed to find a clerk, a county clerk, that has to deal with these harvests uh, coming in um, to say, I really wish that law was not there because you your your brokers your boleteros your politicaras your bad actors are just harvesting uh they're using these very permissive systems that are supposed to make it easy for people to vote and easy for people to help other people vote which is all nice and great uh but unless you have checks built into those systems uh you're going to have harvesters uh become brokers and then you're going to have fraud. And so we that's why we argue, look, we need to get beyond just relying on signatures to verify whether a ballot should be counted or not. If people are going to be moving ballots in mass, we should be able to know that whenever that ballot that and that envelope was completed, that person themselves did it, not some third party, because we have their um their secure information on it. We have the driver's license number uh, and it's in an envelope that's tamper proof. So we know that uh, it wasn't, the seal wasn't broken on it, those kinds of things. So yeah, there are little checks that can be built into the system that balance between the good thing of people helping people participate in our elections, that there's nothing wrong with that. At the same time, we temper that with, making it hard for people to take that very permissive system and cheat with it. Because my concern with the ballot harvesting and, and really – it's all these cases, um, you know, any type of voter integrity law, uh, going after cleaning up voter rolls, going after you know, requiring photo ID at the polls, uh, proof of citizenship, um, all these cases, the left has successfully enshrined their political desires for voting methods – into civil rights, where they basically um, 
you know, have ready-made data that it disproportionately affects minorities. And I'm seeing them winning left and right. You know, we finally overturned a bad Sixth Circuit opinion in Ohio um, with the Supreme Court opinion. Um, but like you noted in the 90s, when, when, and we've noted this on the show in our discussion about the courts in general, even when we win, they make it very narrow and they keep coming back with a thousand other lawsuits and they seem to win on this macro disparate impact stuff. Right. But here's, here's the jujitsu again. In Kansas, when the federal court went to Secretary Kobach and said you cannot require people show proof of citizenship when they want to register to vote. Similar lawsuit in Arizona, same facts. Both of those, the left, quote-unquote, won. But whenever you look into the decision, the decisions in both of those, either through the settlement agreement in Arizona and in Kansas uh, decision, a separate method of building citizenship verification into the voting system came out in both cases. In Kansas, the judge said, look, I'm not comfortable with you requiring that someone staple their birth certificate, their American birth certificate, to a voter registration application. But you could build a system to where you go get their birth certificate when you register them to vote and verify their claims that way. And in Arizona, uh, there was a couple of left-wing groups sued the state for the same reasons. They wanted to show have proof of citizenship. In their settlement agreement, they decided that in Arizona, when you go register to vote, you can either prove citizenship up front just because you feel like it, you have the document on in your hand, or you can have the Secretary of State call the DMV and pull your driver's license information where your passport, your birth certificate, what have you, lives in that database and get a copy of it sent over there. And if you do not have the, that information available, then you can only vote in federal elections. You can't vote in state and local elections until you have your citizenship proven up one way or another. So in those two cases, the left won. They knocked down the proof of citizenship requirement, but then they then turned around and facilitated how we can verify citizenship by leveraging technology instead of documents from wannabe voters, and we're going to get to the same place either way. So we need to look at the whole field here and say, yes, states have been coming under fire for their voter ID laws, but they won more than not, and they've spread to other states. We've seen states get knocked on the head for requiring proof of citizenship, and then the outcomes of those cases creating citizenship verification on the back end, on the bureaucratic level. So we, we need to focus beyond the headline and realize, and once again, own, own the process of this. Mm. Learn the process, understand it, understand how the left leverages it, how they build political power from it, and counteract it. One of the reasons why uh, PILF is constantly getting attacked, uh, and some other groups like it from the left, is because we did a giant cannonball into their sandbox. No one else is doing it, yep. and we're having a blast kicking sand around, having fun, <laughs> And it's because we're going to control, we're going to master the process too. And that's where the power is. And if we can do that, uh, at least where both sides are engaging on this, we're going to have better election outcomes. We're going to, ha and not in terms of winner and loser, but in terms of integrity. Yep. And, and the website is publicinterestlegal.org. We're going to link to it in 
show notes. Um, yeah, I mean, there you have it. As, as Teddy Roosevelt said, there is no enemy of free government more dangerous and none so insidious as the corruption of the electorate. I hope you've learned a lot. Um, thank, thank you, Logan. You know, I asked for a half an hour. You gave me a full hour. Um, I know you got to get back to work, but would you c- come back again? Absolutely. Thank you so much for the invite. All righty. Well, enjoy your weekend. There you have it, folks. That was Logan Churchwell of the Public Interest Legal Foundation. Wasn't that a treat, guys? I mean, really, just just a refreshing voice, uh, someone that you probably don't hear from anywhere else on Fox News, but just a nice deep dive into the problems that we have, the messaging that we need to use to combat voter fraud. It, it doesn't get worse than this. Stolen sovereignty. I write about this in my book. I mean, this notion that people could just come here illegally, um, unilaterally assert jurisdiction. By the way, because Michael Anton wrote this article debunking birthright citizenship, everyone's going nuts. And they think – they take it for granted that you know someone could just come here and uh, unilaterally assert jurisdiction. And no. If if this discussion blows up, I might have to reiterate it, but – We've actually at Conservative Review, we've reposted some of my old articles on birthright citizenship and uh, the entirety of chapter four of my book, Stolen Sovereignty, is about this issue. Uh, but, you know, we need a party willing to, to tackle this. We need a movement willing to be focused rather than just defending Putin. You know, the, the way to attack the Democrats on this is, is to focus on, on what Logan was talking about. Anyway, we're, we're over time today. I just wanted to say there's a lot of other issues going on that I haven't had time to get to, and hopefully next week. Um, you know, Russia's meddling in Latin America, Nicaragua, the problems in Nicaragua, and how that ties into the drug problems and immigration problems. Um, the K2 spice issue, if you remember, another voice that you probably won't hear from elsewhere, Derek Maltz, the former head of DA Special Operations Division, warned us that you know these Iranian, uh, not Iran, Yemeni-owned bodegas and gas stations are are funding terrorism by poisoning our people. You know, two for the price of one, killing our people with this K2 spice, the synthetic marijuana laced with rat poison. Uh, there was a case in Washington two nights ago where people were dropping dead on the streets. Um, so there's a lot more I want to talk about that. Kirsten Nielsen, uh, Secretary of DHS, she expend, extended TPS, Temporary Protected Status Amnesty, for Somalians. has nothing to do with a natural disaster. They, they haven't had a country for, for 30 years. Um, and you know it, it, there's no t- TPS there, but she extended it. And then obviously what I wrote about today, what I wrote about today with Marco Rubio and Tim Scott, senator from South Carolina, opposing a conservative Ninth Circuit court nominee and forcing Trump to withdraw because they felt his writings weren't pandering enough on race. They were too politically correct, incorrect against multiculturalism. That is very telling. Um, it's it's my latest article, a conservative review. There's about five problems with that, and now the Democrats know how to pick our lock. And it's very revealing about Rubio and Scott. 
with their racial pandering. And there's a lot of that on a lot of issues. Tim Scott is a lot worse than you think he is. I've bit, I've bit my tongue on that issue for uh, for a long time. But you know, it, it's partly why he's so into criminal justice reform. You know, rather than fighting back against the racial agenda of the left, you know, he he buys into it and hurts us. I have a lot to say on that, but um, you know, a lot of you ask me, how is it that I'm able to focus on so many issues, uh, just you know, be on top of an array of issues that so many people aren't willing to cover, and I'm going to tell you, it's all because of our sponsor, the sponsor of this show on on voter fraud. And I really want you to get accompanied with them, and I want you to check them out. Purple. Okay? Purple.com. They make the best mattresses in America. You need a good night's sleep. I know when I wake up about 6, 10 in the morning, I know if I'm going to have a productive day where I could fight the left on eight issues or whether I'm just going to be half asleep. It's based on how I am when I wake up in the morning, if I had a good night's sleep. Now, there's two factors in a good night's sleep. You could get woken up by things. You have kids. That happens sometimes. Or even if you didn't get woken up, you're thinking like, you know, why am I tired? I, I thought I got an adequate sleep. It's because you don't have a comfortable bed. You know, what, One of the problems I always had was that I love soft things. My kids do too. But I love soft, uh, soft everything, fabric, and... I really love soft beds, but the problem is, you know, soft beds aren't comfortable. Purple mattresses, they were designed by real rocket scientists that understood the science behind it. This is not your memory foam. And I'm telling you, it's unique because it, it's both firm and soft at the same same time. It has that soft feeling, but it keeps everything in your back supported um, so you could sleep comfortably. So here's what I need you to do. I need you to go to purple.com and issue promo code Daniel. Get 10% off your entire order, 100-night risk-free trial. So, so if you think I'm BSing you, you get 100 free nights. If you're not satisfied, you could return the mattress for, for a full refund. Um, and if you don't return it, it's backed by a 10-year warranty. Again, free shipping and returns on both ends. Purple.com. The only way to get 10% off plus your free gift, by the way, is to use my code, promo code Daniel at checkout, purple.com, the most comfortable, secure mattresses. So you could be rested when you wake up, do whatever you need to do, in my case, to fight liberals tooth and nail. And that's what we're going to keep doing next week. Thank you and God bless. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. Conservative Conscience.